Anything Ghost, number 285. Welcome to Anything Ghost. My name is Lex Wall. Anything Ghost is where people share their personal paranormal experiences, aka ghost stories, or local ghost legends, and I share them with you on this show. If you want to share, send it to lex at anythingghost.com. Got a lot of great stories for you as we close in on Halloween pretty quickly here, so stick around for show number 285. this first story comes to us from Jesse in Canada and it's called Our Ghosts and Haunted Homes but uh, here I'll just read it and I'll explain myself in a bit my sister and I both submitted stories that ended up back to back on episode number 280 she had a couple of stories involving one of the houses in a suburb of Houston we stayed in that house the longest and so that house has a few stories And so this is Lex again, and I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to share what her sister sent us back in episode number 280, probably like five, six months ago. So some of you will remember it, but the new listeners won't know about it. So this was from her sister, Mari, in Pennsylvania, and it was called Childhood Ghost Experiences. And after I read this, I'll read the story that Jesse sent in this time about the same home. Mari in Pennsylvania, Childhood Ghost Experiences I live in Pennsylvania now, but prior to this I lived in Massachusetts and grew up in Texas. We moved a lot growing up, so we had many houses that were haunted. I, thankfully, have never seen anything. I don't think I'd recover if I did. I have many, many stories I've heard over the years growing up. It's a favorite pastime in my family to share and recount ghostly encounters. So as a kid, I'd often be sent off to bed with them fresh in my mind. Thankfully, I shared a room with my two sisters for most of my life. I've never been able to tell if a creepy feeling was due to an actual paranormal presence or if it was just my creeped-out imagination. Anyway, as I said, I have many stories, but I want to share a few that I actually witnessed. We were living in a suburb of Houston, and I was a junior or senior in high school. The house and neighborhood itself wasn't very old, only about 25 years or so, and we had moved in about four years earlier. I'm not sure of the history of the land. It was mostly wooded, but I don't think it had been in use before the town was built, which took place in the 70s. It was a cute house, three-bedroom ranch, wooded lot, but the neighborhood was dense, and neighbors were never more than 50 feet in any direction. I also don't know the history of the house or who lived there before we moved in. At the time, I finally had a room to myself as my grandmother and older siblings had all moved on 
and so it was just myself and my little sister left. I promptly moved into the now-empty room and relished the solitude that was, up until then, very elusive. Nothing really happened for a long while, to me anyway. That is, until my older sister was staying with us while she waited for her house to close, which was just down the street. She had set up some blankets on the floor of my room, right next to my bed. The room was square, and I had my bed in the far corner, diagonally opposite the door. Right next to the door on the right, if you were looking at it from the inside, was the door closet. I had set up my bed at an angle so that the foot of the bed was not against the wall, but in the middle of the room, while the head was in the corner. My sister had her blankets tucked into the side between my bed and the door. All was well when we turned out the light for bed. I'm not sure what time it was. Certainly it was the middle of the night, because the house was quiet and everyone had gone to bed. I woke up because I felt someone grab my foot and shake it, as if they were trying to wake me up. When I woke up, there was no one there. I looked around the room. It was very dark, but I could just make out the objects in the room. I saw the form of my sister sleeping next to my bed. Freaking out, I turned on the bedside lamp. There was nothing, and my sister began to rouse from having the light on and was pretty grumpy. I whispered to her, Did you just grab my foot? No, what's going on? Turn off the light, she said, obviously annoyed. Someone just grabbed my foot and shook it to wake me up. I thought it was you. I was asleep. Now turn off the light and let me sleep. She had no sympathy. Now I was really freaking out. I told her there was no way I was turning off the light, and she could put her pillow over her head if she wanted it dark. She grumbled and did just that. I didn't sleep a wink after that. I just lay there scanning the room until I heard my mother wake up the next morning. It was the longest night. When I told everybody about it the next day, they all just shrugged it off. It wasn't anything new for them. They made spooky noises and wiggled their fingers at me. But that was it. For a while after that, I read until I fell asleep each night, so I wouldn't think about it and had compromised with my little sister to let me have a small light on. Nothing like that has ever happened to me again, thankfully. I have enough shenanigans in my life without the paranormal contributing. The next story took place in the same house. I can't remember if it took place before or after my last story, but that's not really relevant. I'll explain the layout of the house, though. As you came in the front door, to your left was a short wall, behind which was the kitchen. If you went straight, it led to the living room. If you turned right, there was a hallway which ended in a half-bath and then turned left for all the bedrooms. All the floors were linoleum except the bedrooms. We had a large dining table in the eat-in kitchen which jutted out just past the short wall that separated the kitchen from the foyer or hallway. 
If you were sitting at the head of one end of the table, you could see into the foyer, but not quite into the front door, unless you leaned over a bit. For some reason, we had visitors. My cousins, uncle, and aunt were staying with us. As per usual, we were all crowded around the table, laughing and talking. It was the middle of the day. Suddenly, my uncle, mother, and her sister stopped, got quiet, and my mother and uncle, who were facing it, stared into the foyer. Shortly, everyone else noticed it, and after a few seconds asked what was wrong. The three of them looked shocked and pale. My mother grabbed my uncle's arm and said, Did you see? Yeah, he said dryly. My sister, who was sitting with her back to the foyer, said, I heard something that sounded like footsteps. Yeah, both my mother and uncle confirmed. My uncle explained very slowly and quietly that he heard the footsteps coming down the hallway and looked up to see a little girl peeking around the wall, as if to see what the noise was about. My mother confirmed the same. We all sat in silence for a minute and wondered who this little girl could be and why she was visiting us. I'm not sure we ever figured it out, but that house has a lot of feelings. I did not like being alone there, although nothing malicious ever happened. My last story is a family story from a previous house in South Texas. It was an old wood frame house my family was renting. All the houses on the street dated from the 1930s to the 1950s. Shortly after moving in, my uncle came to stay with us and occupied the back bedroom. After moving in, he described how he would hear the attic access door, which was in the closet of his bedroom, open up. Then, he would hear something jump down, open the closet door, and walk out of the room. All he could see was a pair of military-looking boots, and he never saw or heard it going back into the attic. While this didn't happen every day, it happened often enough that it was finally the norm, and my uncle named the ghost T.C. McForrester. No idea why he picked that name. Nothing malicious ever came of it, and perhaps that's why my family was able to just live with it, even if it was creepy. I've often wondered... If my uncle came up with that name from the ghost itself, perhaps that was his name and rank. I have no idea about the military ranks or abbreviations, nor do I know the history of that old house. Our family wasn't there for very long, and so it's just been added to the list of family ghost stories. And those were the stories from Mari. And now I'll read you what was sent into us from the same home, from Jesse in Canada. Our Ghosts and Haunted Homes. And again, this was in Texas, the Houston area of Texas. As Mari mentioned, the layout of that house was in almost a U-shape. You walked in the front door, 
and to the left was a small wall, behind which was the open-concept kitchen, which was connected to the living room, and that was directly in front of you as you walked in. To the right of the front door and the foyer was a hallway with the small powder room at the end to the right. And then the hall continued around a corner to the left to the three bedrooms and one more bathroom. The first bedroom on the right was the room where Mari had her foot shaken by someone in the middle of the night. If you continued further to the end of this hallway, the master bedroom, the main bathroom, and my old room, or the middle room for clarification purposes, all met. Nothing ever happened in that middle room. It was very dark but serene. I spent most of my time as a tween and a teen in that room, sharing it with my sisters, until one by one they each left for their own room or moved out. After Maury moved out, my father decided he wanted to make the middle room an office and made me move into Mari's old room. Knowing the foot-grabbing story, I was more than a little nervous. But in the two years that I was in that room, nothing ever really happened. That was until I came home for the summer after my freshman year in college. My parents, enjoying their empty nest, had cleared my bed out of the room, put down tile, and made a sewing crafts room for my mom. I ended up sleeping on a little bed of blankets on the floor for the summer. I was 19, and it suited me just fine. However, that summer I also experienced my first real heartbreak. A very nice young man had very kindly but very firmly ended a budding relationship and took his friendship along with it. That night, I sat in my room on the floor and I cried and cried, quietly as I could, but still heavy crying. I realized that someone was petting my hair. Slowly I could feel someone caressing my hair, gingerly putting my wavy hair behind my ears. Thinking it was my mother and not really wanting to talk, I didn't turn around and I continued to cry. It felt like there were three people there with me. But that didn't really make sense. I calmed down, stopped crying, and turned to say thank you to my mother. She didn't say anything, and I couldn't make out any features in the dark room except for the outline of her head. Mom's short hair looked like she had put curlers in her hair. This wasn't uncommon, so I turned back around and fell fast asleep as she continued to caress my hair. That night, I dreamed of an old woman with short curly white hair, a younger woman with long flowing blonde hair, and an older man. The woman told the man that they would stay with me through the night, and he tapped my leg as he left, giving me a nod that said it would be okay. The women stayed and soothed me, just as I had felt earlier with the caressing of my hair. The next morning, my mother came into the room to iron my father's work shirt. Dad worked early, so it was about 5.30 in the morning when she came in and turned on a small lamp. I turned and smiled at my mom, and she said, Sorry to wake you up. Go back to sleep. I'll be done in just a few minutes. 
I told her it was okay and apologized for having woken her last night and thanked her for coming in. I didn't come in here last night, she said as she continued her ironing. Yes, she did. I was crying and you caressed my hair, I said, figuring perhaps she'd forgotten in her sleepiness. She stopped ironing and looked at me and very seriously said, Jesse, I'm telling you I did not come into this room last night. I had a long day yesterday, was really tired, and went to bed early. I didn't even hear you come in. I didn't hear a thing until the alarm went off this morning. It was then that I noticed that Mom's hair was not only not in curlers. It had not been curled at all. I stood up and said, Well, someone came into this room last night and did this to me until I fell asleep. I walked over to her and caressed her hair, pulling it behind her ear like they did to mine last night. She froze. Did she have tightly curled hair in rows? Like perfect little curls? Yeah, I thought you had put curlers in your hair. Jessie, I think it was your grandmother. My dad's mom. I used to help her set her curls, and she would put me down for a nap and would caress my hair just like that until I fell asleep. Did she say anything? No, but I dreamed there was an old lady, another woman, and a man. What did she look like? Did she have very white hair? Yes. In my dream, she had very white hair and was with another woman with long hair and an old man. Mom didn't know the other woman, but was absolutely sure that I had described my great-grandfather, who had died when my mom was a teenager. I still don't know who the long-haired woman was. She was blonde, and no one that I know of in our Hispanic family is blonde. As for the man, I think he was my great-grandfather on my father's side. He died when I was four years old. In a different house, he had appeared to me after his death, and when I told my parents, they assumed that I'd been dreaming. The next night, my teenage brother was talking to his girlfriend on the kitchen phone and saw my dad's grandfather, or abuelo, our kid version of abuelo, which means grandfather in Spanish. Abuelo was speaking to him, but my brother couldn't hear him. No one else could see him but my brother, and he was as pale as can be, and was adamant that Abuelo was right in front of us. I'd like to think that it was him checking on me again years later. The house where we saw Waylo has plenty stories of its own. There were all kinds of issues. We were the first to live in that house, but there were always unexplained sounds, footsteps going down the hall and into the kitchen. My mother would see light orbs dancing around. One night, my sisters and I were up late. We were watching Saturday Night Live. My parents were out at a party. My brothers were off in college. My oldest sister, Adina, was about to graduate and was left in charge of us girls. We turned off the lights and the whole house was dark. We watched TV, sodas, candy and all. We were in the living room. At one point, the cat got up to get a drink of water and was drinking when suddenly she turned, arched her back, her fur on end. 
She started hissing at something down the hall. We all looked at each other, terrified. Quietly, we listened as we watched the cat freak out. My sister looked at me and pointed to the light switch in the kitchen, which was past the hissing cat. Go turn on the light, she whispered. I shook my head. Nuh-uh, you go turn on the light. Finally, she worked up the nerve to turn on the lights. The cat stopped hissing and calmly walked back to the living room by that point. Nothing was there. That wasn't the first time or the last time that our pets would freak out at nothing down the hallway. We lived in that house for another year or two, and then moved around a bit before settling in a house where my sister had her foot grabbed. I have one more quick story from that house. I lived in that house after my mom and dad moved out for about a year before they sold it. Just before they sold it, the house took on a different feel. It was like the whole house was depressed. I moved into an apartment and my mom came up from Texas to paint and fix up the house before it went on the market. There was no furniture, but my mom would sleep on the floor or come to my apartment to sleep. One Thursday, she called me at work in the middle of the afternoon. She had decided to go home for the weekend and said she would be back on Monday. She was already on her way home. That was so unlike my mom. I asked her if she was okay and she said she was fine. But when Monday came around, she would only sleep in my apartment and would not sleep in the house. When I asked her what happened, she finally gave in. She was replacing tile in that old bedroom when she suddenly felt very cold. Then she heard a voice. It told her she needed to leave and not stay at the house anymore. It wasn't the voice that was malicious. It was a bit more of a firm and dire warning. She said it was the only time she felt like she was in danger. She grabbed her stuff and left immediately. When she came back on Monday, everything was fine again. But she felt that she wouldn't have survived if she would have stayed. She was only there for showings after that. She didn't know what was going on, but felt like the house, or something in the house, was warning her of impending doom. So those are at least some of my stories about our ghosts and haunted homes. Hope you all have a creepy crawly Halloween. Take care. And here's a self-told story by Mario in South Texas, U.S. Insidious. Hey Lex, this is Mario from South Texas once again with another story for you. Um, when I was in high school, I was home alone. Um, I can't tell you right now where everybody was, I don't remember. Um, but I remember it was during the day and I wanted to take a nap because I think I had plans for that evening. And I didn't want to be yawning while I was out doing what I was doing. So I lay down on the couch in the living room and I was having quite a bit of trouble falling asleep. So I decided to start 
counting backwards from 100. So I started counting down and when I got to about 50, I felt different. I felt, um, I felt lighter. I felt very relaxed. And then when I got to about 30, I opened my eyes because I heard footsteps. I heard like somebody was running through the house. And being that I was home alone, that was odd to me. So I opened my eyes and when I opened my eyes, I was actually watching myself sleep and there was no color on anything. Everything was gray or black and white. And the sound of running was actually a little boy was running from the kitchen through the living room where I was asleep all the way down the hallway and back. He was running back and forth and back and forth. And aside from my shock at seeing this, um, I actually felt amazing. So I was hovering, or I guess it was an out-of-body experience, but I was hovering near the ceiling and I was watching myself sleep and I was watching this little boy run back and forth and I felt great. I can't even describe the feeling. I felt weightless. Um, I felt felt weightless, but I also felt this feeling in my whole body, almost like a like a vibration. But it felt so good. I can I've never had a feeling like that before, and I don't think I ever will again. Um, I started to lose concentration, and I started to hover back down towards my body. And as soon as I touched my body, I sat up and everything was back to normal. I couldn't hear the running anymore. Um, but I laid right back down and I said, wow, I have to do that again. It was, it was so great. So I started counting down again and I was able to do it again. I opened my eyes and I was up on the ceiling and that same little boy was running back and forth through the living room. And I lost concentration again and fell back into my body and woke and sat up again and it's been probably 18 years since this happened and I have never been able to do it again um, I frequently told people that story and of course nobody believed me um, I know it happened but then when the Insidious movies came out, um, I realized what it is that I had done. And I believe that I was successful in astral projection. Um, even after the Insidious movies, so I was a little afraid because in the movies they say that you know, you leave your, when you astral project, you leave your body as an empty vessel. And anything can come and, anything from the spirit world can come and overtake it. Um, so I was a little wary of that fact, but I also wanted to try it again. So 
As an adult, I've tried several times and I have been unsuccessful every time. Um, but um, I got more stories for you, but that's the end of this recording. So thanks for listening, Lex. I enjoy it so much that I'm dubbing it the official game of Anything Ghost. It's the free-to-download Match 3 game called Best Fiends. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. It is simply no contest giving Best Fiends that title, because Best Fiends has so much more character and color and action than all those other games. You know the ones I'm referring to, where you smash boring bits of candy. In Best Fiends, you're actually playing through a storyline. You have the good guys, the fiends, who are helping you, and the bad guys, the slugs. As you make your way through the colorful map, you'll pick up more colorful, character-filled fiends along the way who will help you win each level with their special talents. I've just soared my way into level 2000, and I can see an awesome little town up the road a little bit called New Might City. I cannot wait to reach the city and see what colorful games are awaiting me there. So come join me and play what I'm calling the official game of Anything Ghost, Best Fiends. Download Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Carrying on now with a story from longtime listener Pete in West Michigan. Pete? Hi, Lex. My name is Pete, and I live in West Michigan, and I've lived there pretty much my whole life. I've been listening to your show for a while, and I think it is wonderful. And I've been wanting to record my story for a while, so I've finally gotten around to doing it. So, here it is. Now, this would have been about 23 years ago or so. It was at my best friend at the time's house on the 4th of July. I remember that because we had all rode our bikes down to a dam so we could watch the 4th of July fireworks go off and it was great, really memorable time. Um, We saw the fireworks, we did the whole day event, and then we came back to my best friend's house. And it was me, my best friend, and his brother. At the time, it was about, I don't know, 10, 11. And we get back, and it's me, my best friend, and his brother, we run to the house. I can't even remember what we were doing, but we are just, we were the first ones there running inside. We bust through the garage door, and then we make it through the garage to the entrance of the house. And the weird thing, we all three busted through the door of the house and then stopped. And just listened because as simultaneously we all turned around and ran right out of the garage right outside and 
ultimately we had the same story. And sometimes I, I ask them, I'm like, hey, what happened that that day? Because separately we'll all tell the same story as we went into the house. Um, it was a more of an office in the back of the house at the time. And we could hear a this old computer keyboard just clacking and clacking like somebody was typing on it. I remember looking over at it and trying so hard to reason because none of the keys were moving, but we could definitely hear typing. And there was this old like dot matrix printer um, and it had the sound that that, that printing sound like the paper through the ream was running through it, but nothing was moving or going on. There was no monitor on. There was nothing. And when we experienced that, all three of us at the same time, it's not like we talked in that moment, like what's going on. We just went in, recognized that this is not normal. Why we're not sure what's going on here, and then we all just booked it out, and here we are, these twenty some years later. Now the house was built by um, my best friend's grandfather, like by hand, like they milled the boards with uh, the trees on the property to build this house, and. There are other stories of sightings of uh, what my best friend's grandmother called like a guardian angel that she would see at night. Um, but as far as maybe traumatic experiences in that house, there there would be nothing to really call out. So this was a very rural, very wooded property. Um, but that has held very strongly with me over the last 23, 24 years. Um, so I just wanted to take some time and share that with you. Thanks for listening and take, take care. The Halloween episode is coming up. I'm going to release it on October 24th. That'll be one week before Halloween. So if you have a story you want to share, send it to Lex at anythingghost.com, either a true ghost experience or a local ghost legend. Either record it or type it up and send it to Lex at anythingghost.com. That's Lex at anythingghost.com. Anything Ghost has been around for 15 years, and if you want to hear every single Anything Ghost Halloween special, one year it was six hours, I believe, maybe five. It's pretty long, but that was when I allowed uh, people writing fiction for it, but it got kind of out of hand, so... I kind of cut that off, but if you want to hear every single episode of Halloween on Anything Goes, something like that, look into joining the Anything Goes VIP group. There's a one-time membership fee, and you'll have complete access of the 15-year, the 15-year, the 15-year archive of Anything Goes. So check it out. Go to anythingghost.com, and then look at the join the VIP link. Anythingghost.com, join VIP for the complete archive of Anything Ghost. And up to bat next is Christina in Santa Rosa County, Florida. 
And she's going to tell her story herself. Here's Christina. The house I grew up in, I would not consider to be very haunted. As I've already relayed, citing three shadow figures over the course of a 12-year period does not make for a haunted house. And I never got spooky, creeped-out vibes. Now, that house wasn't very active, and it was nothing to be uncomfortable about. Unlike the house that I would move to in Florida, that was distinctly more active. So I was 16 when I left Onslow County, North Carolina for Santa Rosa County, Florida. And I moved into another one of those post-war ranch-style houses that are made out of brick. Only this one was bigger and nicer than the house I'd grown up in. Um, it was a little outdated, but it was still a very solid house. The first thing I would think that I noticed was all the pennies. They were everywhere. They were on the floors. I would find them on tabletops. They would just fall out of nowhere sometimes. These pennies were everywhere. And I thought that was irregular because for as much as I cleaned and vacuumed, these these pennies just kept showing up to the point that um, I started to look for a pattern or a consistency if there was anything about the dates or where I found them, whether they were on heads or tails, but there was no rhyme or reason. And I know it wasn't the kids that my roommate she had a couple of kids and these coins were really coming out of nowhere. And I knew even then that, um, yeah, spirits could definitely aport if they wanted to. Um, there was one evening when I was cleaning up the kids playroom and I was alone on the end of the house. Everything was really quiet. At this particular time, I was packing away a set of wooden blocks, you know, different shapes and colors, and I was trying to strategize the most effective way to fit them back into the box. So I was planning ahead which ones I'm going to grab next. I turned to grab the next ones in mind, and they were gone. And I thought, okay, so I guess I'll just have to switch it up and, you know plan different blocks. This is how they go in. Okay. And then I would turn back and the blocks were returned. The ones that I had meant to grab were back. Oh, I thought that was interesting that they were certainly messing with me. There was another instance that was peculiar. I had been sitting at the dining table when Across the kitchen through the window, I caught a glimpse of somebody coming up the walkway headed towards the front door. So I thought, you know, I'll get up and I'll meet them before they have to hit the doorbell. But opening the door, the front porch was empty. There was nobody there. Didn't think anything of it. You know, maybe, maybe I was mistaken but it kept happening. Through the kitchen window, I would catch a quick glimpse of somebody 
walking up the walkway towards the door. And it was consistently the same kind of figure. It was a shadowy figure of a tall man. And he was kind of stooped forward with his head hanging forward. And very wide, long steps, very fast gait, kind of, um, I don't want to say like a lurch. He was just like an awkward, gangly guy, just kind of zooming up the walk path like he was on a mission. And I would race to the window to try and see him, or I would run to the door, and always there was no one there. And I brought it up with my roommate, and she claimed that she had seen it too. For that reason, as well as privacy reasons, we covered up the kitchen window with a decorative vinyl that you squeegee on, nice and pretty. So that way I didn't have to see it anymore. It was getting to the point where I thought I had seen the shadowy figure peek in the window, but at that point I thought, you know, it's get it's messing with my head, it's getting to me, I'm making things up. So I was really glad when we covered that window. One night, the roommate and I were up having coffee. We had put the kids to bed, so we were sitting at the dining table just shooting the breeze when <laughs> we could hear from the other end of the house her little girl wasn't going to sleep. She was up just talking and figured, you know, she's a toddler. She needs a reminder that it's time to lay down and go to sleep. She just needs a little bit of encouragement. I volunteered to be the one to go. So I crossed the house down the hall and the, the door had been cracked open. So I nudged it open a little more and I was just coming in. And you could hear her just babbling on, just talking, cheery, in her broken kid English. And I stopped up short. I was, I was just watching her for a second. I guess I was um, a little startled because, you know, kids play. But then this was something else. She wasn't keeping herself company. This was different. She had hiked herself up. She was holding on to the rails of her crib. And she was focused on this corner of the room. And she was having a conversation. She would babble on in her cute, sweet voice and then pause silently like she was listening. And then she'd start talking again and answer yeses and noes and big, long stories. And then she would stop and focus on this corner. <laughs> um, it, I really got a distinct feeling that something was going on. So I pulled the door back, cracked open, and I walked down the hall back to the dining table and I sat down and told my roommate, you're the mama, you can handle this. There was something that happened regularly enough, but not very often that I would lay down at night to go to sleep 
I'd be laying there just trying to relax, not for very long, when a tug would happen to my pillow. And I would open my eyes and look, but there was nobody there. It's been several times a very distinct, I'm trying to get your attention, tug on my pillow. Never spooked, never creeped out, never a scary feeling, just, I can't even say I was annoyed. It was just a head scratcher. Um, another time I remember very distinctly, I had been having a nightmare when I jerked awake. It was a horrible, horrible dream. I don't even want to describe it, but I was, I, when I woke up, I was laying face down, I mean, on my belly, on my pillow. My heart was just racing from the terror of it. Wide awake, no mistaking. So it was particularly odd to feel somebody petting the back of my head. The weight, the rhythm of a hand stroking my hair. And I got this very strong sense. It was like a loving, motherly feeling soothing me from that horrible dream. I knew that I was alone in the room, so there I'm laying there feeling this rhythmic petting in the back of my head. And I just react, I guess, and I very simply say desist. You know, I'm thinking I just need you to stop. Thank you. No thank you. Desist. <laughs> it's the only word that I could think to say. And at that very second, it stopped. There was one point where I, I don't know if I was getting paranoid or what, but even in the shower, I thought that I could hear garbled voices like a radio in another room. Just the sound of voices or conversation that I couldn't quite make out the words. But it, that only happens the once. Just enough to keep me paranoid, I guess. Um, the lady who owns the house was a dear, dear friend, and I didn't feel the least bit bashful about asking her if the house had a history, um, because it was the house that she herself had grown up in that we were renting. Well, so I told her everything that I just relayed to you. She couldn't account for you know, any garbled voices in the shower. She didn't know about that. But she listens to everything that I said, and she just kind of sat back and got this knowing smile, and she says, you know what, that sounds a whole lot like my mama. Um, when she herself was a schoolgirl, her mama would come and wake her up in the mornings to get ready for school by tugging on her pillow. <laughs> So it kind of makes sense that she would come to the teenage girl in the house. And and as for the figure on the walkway, the only thing she could imagine was there was a young man who became obsessed with her mama. Um, I think her mother was a nurse or something. and Or a teacher. I'm sorry, I don't remember rightly so. But this man 
almost nearly stalked her. So if he was dead and gone, it kind of made sense that some residual energy of some sort might be trying to get to the house. If he was trying to get to her mama still, um, it's, it did sound like a residual haunting, so I don't know what to think about that. Makes sense, though, that somebody who's obsessed would generate that kind of energy. But it was, although there was nothing to be done, there was nothing, you know, menacing or sinister about these goings on. Just having that conversation with her, having her receive me and to kind of validate some of the things, I guess it was reassuring. Well, I moved on out by the time I was 19, so it wasn't my concern. And I had asked her, um, as she was selling the house, if she had any intentions of telling the buyers about these occurrences. <laughs> nope, she said, I'm going to let them find that out on their own. And I'm going to continue on with a piece of music I wrote about 10 years ago for an episode. And it's I called it, This Sadness Will Last Forever. And it was supposedly what Vincent Van Gogh said, the last words he said on his deathbed. But I'll, I'll read a bit from Wikipedia about what happened. Adeline Raveau, the innkeeper's daughter, who was only 13 at the time, clearly recalled the incidents in July 1890. In an account written when she was 76, reinforced by her father's repeated reminders, she explains how on July 27th, Van Gogh left the inn after breakfast. When he had not returned by dusk, given the artist's regular habits, the family became worried. He finally arrived after nightfall, around 9 p.m., holding his stomach. Adeline's mother asked whether there was a problem. Van Gogh started to answer with difficulty. No, but I have... As he climbed the stairs up to his room. Her father thought he could hear groans and found Van Gogh curled up in bed. When he asked whether he was ill, Van Gogh showed him a wound near his heart. Explaining during the night, Van Gogh admitted he had set out for a wheat field where he had recently been painting and attempted suicide by shooting himself. As soon as the post office opened on Monday morning, Adeline's father sent a telegram to Van Gogh's brother, Theo, who arrived by train during the afternoon. Adeline explains how the two of them watched over Van Gogh, who fell into a coma and died about one o'clock in the morning. His death certificate records the time as 1.30 a.m. In a letter to his sister, Theo told of his brother's feelings just before death. He himself wanted to die. When I sat at his bedside and said that we would try to get him better and that we hoped that he would be spared this kind of despair, he said, in French, this sadness will last forever.
Continuing on now is a story from Cass in Salt Lake City, Utah. She's going to tell the story herself. She's a brand new listener. Hey, Lex and the world. Uh, My name is Cass. I'm from Salt Lake City, Utah. And um, I am a brand, brand, brand new listener. As in the last three days, it has been a constant background noise to my life and to tasks that are a lot less fun and interesting without incredible stories. Um, I wanted to just let everybody know, thank you so much for sharing your stories, um, especially when they're so personal or scary. Um, Your bravery is amazing. And thank you so much, Lex, for producing this podcast and sharing your own stories as well. Um, To preface this story, uh, I am like a ghost agnostic. Uh, I don't really believe, but I have a huge respect in the belief and I just love hearing what everybody has to say about it. So another thank you, but also just, you know, keep that in mind. I graduated with an English degree and before I did that, I studied abroad, mostly in London, but we kind of traveled throughout Europe while we were there. Um, I was there for English, obviously, but I also put an emphasis on uh, mythology, legends, and lore. So it was an awesome trip. I'm a huge history buff, um, which is a little sad because I am the least eloquent person when it comes to stories like this, so I'm just going to go ahead and do my best here. We were in Edinburgh, Scotland, and I feel like I should also mention... I didn't really have friends on the study abroad. I mean, I really liked the people I was there with. They were all super nice and fun, but we weren't super close. So a lot of the time when I had time to myself, I ended up by myself. So in Scotland, I ended up booking a tour for the Edinburgh Vaults. Now, for people who don't know what those are, like I said, I am the worst person to go into the deep, deep history of what those are. but. I highly encourage that you look them up. They're incredibly interesting, they're full of history, and bonus, they're super spooky. I ended up booking this tour by myself. I went by myself. It was the last tour of the night, and I didn't find out until right after booking the tour that it was kind of a ghost tour. You know, it's meant to be spooky. That doesn't matter to me. I'm not easily frightened. I love horror. I love ghost stories. I love haunted houses. But I've always regarded all of that as like a roller coaster. You know, you scream when you're supposed to scream and you have a fun time and then, you know, get off the track and call it a day. So I go to this tour. I'm all by myself. Um, Let me explain a tiny bit about the vaults. It is super old. It was made famous because it is widely believed that it was used for a lot of grave diggers and, well, body snatchers and uh, selling bodies and buying bodies and serial killers who would stash bodies. Lots of, lots of uh, body economy. I go into the underground vaults um, and I was alone in my tour group of about, I don't know, a dozen people or so. It's the last tour group of the night. So we go from one side of the vaults, and at one point you hit a very long hallway. That hallway leads down to the right, and then it goes into another section of the vaults. Uh, But the hallway itself is just completely solid. It's stone. Um, As far as I remember, and I could absolutely be wrong because it's been several years, 
there wasn't an exit or any other doors along that hallway. I, I didn't see any, but I also have terrible eyesight. Um, so the tour guide pointed out something scrawled into the stone in the wall behind us right when we were entering the hallway. And I turned around to take a picture of it. And by the time I turned around, I noticed my entire tour group had moved on without me. Oops, you know, they're all all the way down at the very end of this hallway. They are already turning into the next section of the vaults. And so I start, you know, semi-jogging to catch up with them. And I am checking my phone at the same time to look at the picture I just took. And this is when it gets a little weird. And this is when my lack of storytelling finesse will really show. I, this is so hard to describe. I was turning right into the other part of the vaults where my tour group had gone and kind of looking at my phone at the same time. And all of a sudden, I just, I felt somebody walk right past me. Like, and when I say felt, I mean they bumped full on into my shoulder and I was wearing a raincoat, um, which as you all know, makes a very large, loud whoosh sound when it comes into contact with anyone and everything. So, you know, my raincoat just whoosh, and um, I bump into this guy's shoulder, and it kind of, it didn't really knock me off my feet. It wasn't super hard, but it was clearly a solid person walking past me, and it kind of made me stumble back a bit. Um, and out of the corner of my eye, I managed to peek one look for half a second. I saw a very long, dark trench coat and what looked to be a brimmed dark hat. I thought maybe a top hat, but it's pretty dark in that section of the catacombs or the vaults or whatever you'd like to call it. So it's a little, it, you know, it was a little hard to tell for sure, but my brain said, oh, top hat. And so this man or person bumps right past me, goes around me, and I quickly spin around because I want to apologize. I was the one who was distracted. Um, he ran into me, I ran into him, whatever. Um, and I turn around to do so, and nobody's there. Again, this is a long, skinny stretch of hallway. It goes on, I'm not going to say for miles, because that's not true, but it goes on long enough that it would take a lot of time for the person to get to the other end of the hallway and turn back into the other vaults. Um, nobody was there. I was like, okay, well, huh, you know, weird. Uh, I kind of turned around, looked around. I thought maybe, okay, maybe this guy circled me like a vulture and then returned into the vaults. Maybe it was a tour guide trying to lead me back to the group. I don't know. So we get into the second part of the vaults, and uh, by we, I mean me. I did actually go to school to English, I swear. Um, and I'm looking around for this guy because I feel really bad. Um, I get distracted pretty easily, and I bump into a lot of things and people, so uh, no guy with a top hat, go figure. And I'm just, like, my brain is saying, okay, weird, huh, well, hmm hmm, like, it, it just couldn't fathom what had just happened. I knew somebody had walked past me. I had felt them. I heard it with my very loud jacket. I, I, I knew it happened, but he was just gone. And I am now rejoined with my tour group, and the tour guide 
uh, lights a lantern and he's talking about uh, the history of this section of the vaults and he mentions that there is a spirit that is recorded in this area of the vaults that they have aptly named the aristocrat and he's oftentimes seen with like a fancy hat or fancy clothes or he folds his arms and he smirks at people as they walk by and people have reported that there's kind of a dark air about him but um, as far as I know anyway and as far as the tour guide seemed to know nobody had reported him hurting anybody or causing a nuisance otherwise and I thought that was a little weird I was like okay wait huh, the aristocrat, interesting, and I just got this feeling in my stomach, like I said, I, I'm i not really a believer, I, my first thought wasn't, oh my gosh, it's a ghost, it was more like, okay, I definitely ran into somebody, and then they somehow got away from me before I was able to say sorry, and that made me feel even worse, but that kind of brought me up short, the, the story of the aristocrat, it kind of gave me this feeling that I really can't describe, describe kind of vulnerability, I suppose. Um, just, I don't know, it felt very weird. So we finish up the tour, right? And um, we're all heading up to the gift shop and stuff. And I talked to the tour guide and I said, hey, did somebody walk out right as I was walking in? Did you happen to see a tall guy in a weird hat, a top hat or something? And the tour guide said, well, you know, I wasn't really paying attention. I was talking to the group, uh, but no, I didn't see anybody leave. And I said, okay, do you have a poor guy that dresses like that? Because, you know, it's a spooky tour, so some of them dress up pretty spooky. I'd seen more than a couple of dark dusters while we were walking around. And he said, no, I don't think I know anybody who was wearing a hat today. Um, and that weight in my stomach just kind of got even heavier, you know, and so after the fact, um, I get out of the tour, I'm walking back to my hotel alone, and just this feeling of dread and fear and confusion is following me as I walk to the hotel, and I'm not thinking, oh, it's a ghost, it's a ghost, it's a ghost, it was just kind of like, okay, what happened, what was that, who touched me, who walked past me and then completely disappeared, was there an exit I missed, was there a door somewhere nearby that I didn't see? I, to this day, have no idea what actually happened. All I know for sure is that somebody in a long, dark coat and a tall, dark top hat brushed past me hard enough to startle me and that which is, this is the most me thing to do. If there ever was a ghost story about me, it would definitely be that a ghost brushed past me while I wasn't paying attention, uh, and then I spun around to apologize immediately, and it disappeared. That is, that tracks with my life. But I just remember walking back to the hotel and just feeling like, okay, wait. And I've pretty much felt that way since that experience. I still cannot fathom what exactly happened, and there might be a million different logical excuses for it. Honestly, I just don't know them. I can't think of them. So that was my experience in the Edinburgh vaults. Um, maybe it's haunted. Maybe I'm wrong about the existence of ghosts. Maybe I accidentally ran into one. 
Uh, and if this ghost is listening to the podcast, if it's the aristocrat, then I am so sorry I was distracted by my phone. And also, please do not haunt me for the rest of my life. Uh, that's pretty much my entire story. Um, and I guess there's only one last thing to say, which is take care. The next story I'm going to read is actually from an old episode. I'm going to get it from the Anything Ghost Volume 2 book. But I talked about it on Facebook whenever it was up uh, last week. And I was having people guess. I would read paragraphs from stories, and they were guessing what story it was from. And this one nobody guessed because it was kind of like a one that was forgotten. But it's a great story. It's called The Little Burned Boy at the G.I. House. And it was from episode 280, what was that, 280, 238 of Anything Ghost. And it's from Lita in Greenville, Tennessee. I was born and raised in Wyandotte, Michigan. We lived in a small house built in 1947. It was part of the GI Bill to provide housing for returning veterans of World War II. During the day, the house would be quiet and cozy, but this would disappear as soon as evening began. At an early age, I began seeing shadow figures all about the house, faces on the walls, whispered conversations. The TV would turn off and on, and shadow beings would stare at me. But the most terrifying figure of all was the little burned boy who lived in my closet. Almost every night, he would come to visit me while I tried to sleep. At first, I tried to pile stuffed animals on one side of the bed and hide behind them, thinking I had outsmarted the little boy. But he would only peek over the top and look down on me. He had third-degree burns on most of his body, and the sight of him would send me screaming until I was hoarse. Soon after seeing him for the first time, my night terrors began. I learned to stay awake as long as possible, but sleep would overtake me in the small hours of the morning, sending me into dreams of fire. In some dreams, my room would be ablaze, and I would be trapped. In others, I would find myself in the burn unit of some hospital in terrible pain and dying. In one, a shadow figure came into my room, doused me in gasoline, and set me on fire. My screams would wake my parents, and they would find me drenched in sweat, shaking and exhausted. I developed a phobia of fire that caused me to check the heater and oven compulsively for defects and a cry whenever my mother would light a match to burn a candle or the gas stove. They tried to help by installing smoke detectors in every room and allowing me to sleep with the fire extinguisher, but it wasn't enough. To keep the entities at bay, my father finally resorted to circling my bed with crosses, telling me that whatever was in the house would have no power with me so protected. That seemed to work for a little while, but the activity came back, and as such, the crosses were abandoned. One night when I was ten, 
I was sitting up in bed, reading. I looked at my clock and saw that it was 4 a.m. The house had been quiet thus far, and as I had school the next morning, I felt it was finally safe to catch a couple of desperate hours of sleep. I placed my book on the nightstand and was just about to turn off the lamp when something compelled me to look up at my doorway. There stood my mother, dressed in her favorite jeans, flannel shirt, and white Reeboks. She glared at me sternly and shouted, Don't put that there! I looked at her, confused. Did she mean my book? The lamp? I started to ask what she meant and why she wasn't in pajamas. When I realized that I could clearly see the clothes hamper through her. She faded slowly away, and I spent the rest of the early morning too terrified to sleep. When the clock alarm finally went off, I made my way to the bathroom. I stopped when I came to my parents' room and saw that my mom was getting out of bed to make breakfast. I was mulling over whether I should tell her about the strange visitor. When I glanced over and noticed that her favorite jeans and flannel were hanging on the doorknob of her door. I almost became sick as I stared at the clothing the entity had seen and emulated. The image burned itself in my brain. My mom in her pajamas getting out of bed and those clothes hanging there while my stomach churned and tears stung my eyes. It was one thing to see shadow figures, but for an entity to take on the image of a loved one made me fear it all the more. At 14, we moved into a new house in Tennessee, and I was finally free of the evil that lived in the old GI house. When I got older, my father finally admitted that when I was a baby, he had placed a tape recorder on the kitchen table and told spirits to speak into it. The next morning, they heard an angry male voice but couldn't make out what the words were. It scared my mother so much that she ripped the tape out of the cassette and threw it in the garbage. It was shortly afterward that a small man would visit Dad at night, and Dad would hear the sounds of a party in the living room, clinking glasses, shuffling feet, and several conversations going on at once. The small man would come to the door of the bedroom and wave to my dad, saying, Come on, Ray. Come to the party with us. He would continue until my dad would start to get out of bed, and then suddenly the sounds and the small man would disappear. This plagued him for years. We were also able to finally talk about the TV. It was the old style that had to warm up and gave off the sound of static electricity when you turned it on. Almost every night we would hear it turn on, and then hear someone or something using the remote to quickly click through all the channels over and over again. One of us would get out of bed and start walking toward the living room, at which time the TV would turn itself off, just before we walked into the room. We both knew we were taking turns, as it were, to stop the TV, but were too afraid to acknowledge it while we were living there. I'm now 36, married and living in a quiet and peaceful house in Tennessee. Occasionally, 
I still have sightings of ghosts, or will have a strange occurrence of foreknowledge that always comes true. They're never scary, though. But even after all these years, that GI house haunts me sometimes. I still have trouble falling asleep after dark, and the thought of fire always fills me with unspeakable deep dread. And that's it for Anything Ghost Show number 285. And as I said, I'm putting together the huge Anything Ghost 15th anniversary Mega Macabre Halloween special. I'm not going to call it all that, but it's a good description for you. But if you want to have a true ghost story or local ghost legend in that episode, send them to lex at anythingghost.com or go to the website and fill out the form anythingghost.com. But if you record it yourself, you'll have to send it to me directly, lex at anythingghost.com. And be sure to get me these no later than October 20th, because it comes out on the 24th, and I'm going to need time to compile everything and get everything together. All right, so until the big Halloween show, I want everyone to have a wonderful week, and take care.